Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Gens Talk podcast. Today, we have a special guest all the way from Alberta. We have with us a three-time platinum record holder, 10 gold singles. I wrote this down because there's so many accolades here, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm still missing some. <laughs> Two certified gold albums, 16 top 10 radio hits, a top Canadian country artist, Brett Kissel. Welcome to the Gens Talk podcast. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the great introduction. I mean, I got to tell my publicist to maybe uh, take it a little easy. I just, <laughs> I'm a guy who likes to have have a couple cocktails and, I don't know, chase after my kids. And I love my wife. That's more important than any, any of those <laughs> trophies, but uh, really means a lot. Thank you. How old are your kids? Uh, I've got four kids. And wow. Mila, she's our oldest. She's seven. Aria is five. Uh, so two daughters and now two sons. So Leo just turned four and uh, Atlas, he's uh, going to be one right away. So very, wow. very lucky to have uh, a you? very busy family. How 32. Oh, that yeah. boy. Yeah. More? Engaged? More? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I <laughs> okay. think uh, I, you know, I'm probably going to go get the old procedure uh, done when there's something good to watch on TV, like the Masters or yeah. something like that. And then I'll sit with a bag of frozen peas on my butt. A buddy of mine got, got it and he's yeah. telling me to get it. Because I don't want kids. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to get it. But like, it's like, if you don't want kids, just get it. But it's, it's and it's super invasive too. Like, it's pretty. Yeah, I guess it's, it's really, really easy. My, my brother got snipped and uh, same thing. He says, plan it around a good TV schedule yeah, so that you can sit and watch playoffs watch. or something yeah, like yeah. that. And, <laughs> and make sure, you know, like they say no heavy lifting, no nothing. Yeah. So I'm going to milk it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna milk it. If they say three days of no heavy, heavy lifting. I'm gonna sit on the couch. I'm gonna watch hockey for three straight days. For three weeks. If it's three weeks, then I don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay, okay. If someone tells me it's three three weeks of recovery, then I'm like, no, that's fine. I'll I'll take my chances with the fifth kid instead of three <laughs> weeks of recovery. Do we know what the recovery time is? No, off the top of my head, no. No. Well, and I, and I've heard days, some stories but... that uh, that actually, you know, a vasectomy didn't go go over well, but it doesn't really matter to me. I think I'm just at that point. My wife and I, Cecilia, about. Just entering the new phase and the new chapter, we love our children and we feel that our we're very complete right now. Now, it's interesting because we weren't incomplete when we had two children. We weren't incomplete when we had three. Um, but we just feel complete now with the four beautiful children that we have and entering the next phase with a little bit more freedom, a little bit more time, a little bit more time together as husband and wife. So I believe that if we were to add another child, it would definitely change that it would be an incredible blessing because children always are a blessing but we had this conversation last night literally last night about what the next step is going to be and i said i think i'm going to make an appointment i think uh yeah. call my doctor up in uh Sherwood park <laughs> alberta book the procedure and like i said sit with a bag of frozen peas <laughs> on my lap so what when you say the next step i'm very curious because you you, you have four kids your music career just continues to grow and grow and you're in the process. You've just released an album and we'll get to that in a moment. You're releasing a, a few more, if I understand correctly. Yeah. What is the next phase? You keep referring to the next phase. What is that? Well, I think I'm right at the very beginning of it. A new chapter with a new mindset. I think that's the most important thing. That is the driving force behind everything that I'm doing now is being a lot more conscious in terms of where I will give my attention and what will be a distraction in my life or what's really going to um, be a really special addition to my life. So that mindset is new. Um, been through a lot of great changes, been through a lot of amazing moments in my life, but I've really restructured or I've restructured financially. I've restructured 
every decision my wife and I even in some ways went through I would call it a bit of a renovation for our relationship and a bit of a rebuild which was necessary and very special so I'm 32 my wife and I've been married for 11 years we've got four children that chapter is now closed what is this next chapter we can redefine the chapter sometimes like in a book or the book of life sometimes a chapter will literally be 20 pages that's a lot in a 200 page book sometimes it'll be two pages because it's very quick so i have no idea how long this chapter is going to be but i know that this specific chapter is starting right now and i'm in the first 20 30 days of it what's the chapter called I think I'll probably figure out what it's going to be called at the end okay. uh, of, of what it is. But um, what's the last chapter called? <clears throat> Lessons learned mm-hmm. or re- redefining success. Okay. Still making mistakes. Um, a very good friend of mine, Brett Wilson, that was uh, the, cha- uh, the title of his book called Redefining uh, Success. And I've, I've completely done that. I'm very grateful of the accolades that you recited at the top of the show. And that meant a lot to me at the beginning. It still means a lot to me now, but there are a lot of things that matter a lot more than that now, and I'm realizing it. What were some of those lessons that you said you learned? Um, time and how to spend time. Time is is uh, is a non-renewable resource, and um, and I wasted a lot of time on things. Wasted a lot of time on relationships. Wasted a lot of time on um, just a number of aspects that just didn't matter. Looking back now, now, it's lessons learned. I'm grateful I learned those lessons. Maybe I'm grateful I learned those lessons in my 20s. Um, but I want to be very, very conscious with my time and who I choose to spend it with and how I choose to spend it and the choices I'm making. So time is very important. There's a lot of people that I think we've all met in our circles that will say that when they're in their 50s. They'll say that when they're in their 70s and they realize, you know, they've got a lot more days behind them than they do ahead of them. So I'm really taking a deep look into time today, right here, right now. The concept of time, a lot of that seems to be to stem from a place of self-awareness. Is that a conscious decision to become more self-aware or did something happen to to spawn this level of thinking? Uh, Well, that's, that's a great question. I think... Anyone who would answer that, they would say both, that something usually happens to spur on that journey of, of self-awareness, but also sometimes you just decide that that's just what you're going to do. And you can wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to focus more on on this. But I, I, I had an incredible record deal um, that I ended up uh, getting out of uh, last year with, uh, with Warner Music. What an extraordinary relationship. They gave me the best decade that I could have ever asked for in terms of music. But I also knew it was important to be independent and to release more music, have a lot more creative control, um, and and say the things that I really wanted to say because I was in control. I was the president and the CEO now. Um, so that was an important thing that that I learned my wife and I will probably talk about it perhaps in our in our own podcast uh, in the future but when I say about a renovation of a relationship we you know we looked at each other and said is this serving us is this relationship really what we want and it was okay if the answer was no which would have led to a separation but 
my answer was an absolute yes. And if it's an absolute yes, then what needs to change? I was on the road 200 days a year. I was always gone. I'm building a life and trying to make as much money as I can, but why? If you don't have a family, what for? Yeah. What for? So that was a lot of hard truths um, that, that were discovered. So self-awareness uh, was important, but actually stems from something even more important than that, and that's self-love and love and self-care. And girls are so good talking about that stuff. Yeah. There's self-love and self-love advocacy everywhere you look on commercials and Instagram and in conversations, and guys really don't talk about that. We are now talking a lot more about mental health. Or we're talking about, you know, checkups for prostate exams and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But we don't talk about self-love. Like, what what joy do we really have in our own lives? So I'm uh, a big advocate for that now. But again, I'm not an expert. I don't know if anybody really is. I'm just no, talking about my yeah. own story. And I'm only really th 30 days into, like, a, a huge shift that happened right around Christmas. That, like, I'm, this is me now. So this is raw, authentic happening very, on the very, spot. You guys are at the very... I never even talk about this. Mm. Why would I talk about it publicly? No one's ever asked me. I'm I'm here to promote a record in Toronto. I'm here <laughs> to tell everybody how excited I am about my music career, yet I felt this was a safe space to open up. Um, somebody could be watching this. Somebody could be listening to this right now saying, I'm ready to make that change. And if you are, well, I'm 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 on the journey with you. Well, thank you for taking... For, yeah, I appreciate for, that. Yeah, for having yeah. the courage to share that it's not thanks guys you have every reason to to come in and say i'm only here to talk business i'm only here to talk about my album i'm here to promote myself and i'm done i'm walking away mm -hmm. it, this is very much not a self-serving piece this is a how can i contribute my voice to the conversation around improving self-love and support for men becoming better men yeah and I, I imagine a lot of that too is you know i don't know what your relationship with your father may have been like but I imagine you look at this scenario and then you go, you want to create a place, a safe space for your sons to grow yeah. up as men and feel comfortable having those conversations as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I love my dad and, and I love my sons so much. Um, my dad, you know, he, he grew up in an era and he's extremely quiet. He's, he's very passive by nature. He's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. So I'm, I'm very opposite of what, what he is. And so a lot of lessons are learned by saying what I'm not going to do. Now, some of them, and, and I would, I would say this over, over, you know, playing cards and, and a drink with my dad, like some of it was like, I didn't want to be what you were and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But some of it was like, I learned some great lessons from him too. And realized that some of the very important lessons that he taught me, he didn't even have to say, I was just watching him, watching him navigate certain situations. Um, but now, being a father myself with two boys, also two two girls, I think a lot about the legacy that I'm going to leave for them and the lessons that I'm going to teach them in terms of words of wisdom and knowledge to bestow upon them. But also, they're watching me every day. What are they watching? What am I doing? How am I treating my wife? How am I treating them? How am I treating everyone around me? Because they're watching and they're picking up a lot of things. I mean, shit, like my kids already have isms and they're saying the same things that I'm saying in the, in, in very similar ways. It's some of it is cute. And some of it, like it, it, like I got to take a couple steps back, like, Oh my God. Okay. They're literally becoming just like me. I better be careful here. How is it that world? Like to have, to have four children mm -hmm. and be 32 and be married at 11 years is when you, when you see 
four kids, married for 10 years. You're thinking someone is 45, 50. Yeah. So how, is, how do you navigate with the pressures of that being so young? I, I feel like I, I was truly given a gift from, from the universe or if you're spiritual, like God gave me a gift. Like it, I, I just have to say that I fell in love so young and I knew so early that this was a once in a lifetime love and relationship with my wife, Cecilia. So because of that, we grew up together. We had so much fun and we just decided that we're everything that you think that you would do when you're single. I'm not talking about like relationships and other partners. I'm just talking about those those guys trips or those girl trips or those trips to Coachella. Like, oh, well, I can't do it because I'm tied down. We never wanted to tie each other down. We traveled the world together mm -hmm. and we did that as a couple. And then we decided now we're going to have children. So, yeah, we were ahead by today's standards. Um, standards is, is not the right word, but I don't yeah. have a good vocabulary. But we were ahead of the curve in terms of doing these things so young. I know there was a lot of pressure on us because we were we were young but I loved it I wanted to be a young parent I really did I wanted you know Mila was I was 25 when Mila was born so you think about okay 10 years she'll be 10 years old I'll be 35 uh, you know 8 years later she'll be graduating I'll be 43 years old and yet we're going to a lot of weddings of friends of ours in Toronto or New York or Nashville who are 45 and getting married because now yeah. they're established and there's no judgment that's their journey that's great but my journey was to be married at 21 and I I love it I wouldn't have traded a, a minute for anything honestly I wouldn't have it's beautiful how did yeah. what are some of the things you're learning as a father after the fourth child maybe that you made it maybe didn't know with child number one you know that's that's a great question I uh, my wife is a is a superior parent she is such an extraordinary mom and and parent and I watch her all the time to really get um you know I, I i take i take her lead for sure but i've learned i think really to take it easy um number one is not that i was a helicopter parent when our first child was born but it was so new i didn't want to mess this up i it had to be a routine we had to do this we had to do that and it's like no 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 no. every kid is different and our next daughter aria was so different so why try to fit this routine and say well you have to eat at this time you have to do this you you can't do this no you can do anything how we raise a child in in Canada in 2023 with a, a child who's not quite one yet is so vastly different from a, a child being raised maybe in a third world country or yeah. friends and family that live in other areas of the world so why does like there's no rules anymore just raise good humans so just take it easy take the pressure off of yourself as a dad take the pressure off of yourself like the sun will come up tomorrow your baby's okay take it easy that's something that i've learned now you know what a bunch is, of years into it what does helicopter parent mean oh like around everything like you can't let the kid fall oh my gosh a kid's okay, got a, a, hand, a handful of dirt in their mouth oh my gosh that's crazy the kid fell off you know two rungs of the ladder at the at the playground now honestly i look and i watch <laughs> And I see, okay, what's going to happen here? Because if I am hovering around like a helicopter, I'm going to be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And the kids will feel my energy. Mm. Whereas now it's like, okay, the kid's got a handful of dirt in their mouth on our farm. I'm going to go take it out of their mouth, but it's okay. You know, like there's maybe some good germs in there. That's going to be good for this kid. <laughs> or my kid fell, you know, fell off the slide. Boom. And I'm like, oh baby, this is like, there are going to be some tears, but like, no. My son dusted himself off. I'm like, 
I'm surprised this kid doesn't have a broken arm. He dusts himself off and he's out playing with his buddies again and his cousins. I'm like, okay, I bet you I could have made this into a really big scenario and a big situation. And I'm like, he's a resilient kid. He's okay. So, and I think we forget how resilient <clears throat> kids really are. Well, look at us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're, I don't know how old you guys 35. are. 35, 35, 35, 32. Like, okay, you guys, we were raised in the early 90s yeah. and 80s and 90s where there are probably elements of our family. And my dad, like my dad was probably had a Pilsner in, in his left hand and a dart in his right hand, just watching me and my brother fight it out. <laughs> and that was actually a good thing, yeah. you know? So I, I, it's okay. It worked out, yeah. You yeah, go to the out. playground, you don't come home until after the sun starts to, yeah. to fall and there was no cell phones and yeah. you had to, to learn to, to make your way. You had to, to it was talk a good time. to kids. Yeah. yeah. I think in some ways we may have that helicopter parenting. I love that term. I feel like that's become more of a thing these days and mm -hmm. kids are not as resilient as they could be because of that. Yeah, there's definitely a softness today and and I, I see it around. It's not a judgment. It's just my own personal observation. And that in some ways is okay because we're raising very conscious children in this generation, mm. more conscious than ever in terms of... Um, so many different friendships that we can have and i love that but at the same time every kid is on their screens i can go to you know joey's or a boston pizza or something like that and kids are every kid's got an ipad where's where's the where's the conversation where's yeah. the, the the real face-to-face -face interaction case in point you know um a kid a kid falls off the you know off the monkey bars and the parents got to whisk them away and and take care of him and throw 14 band-aids on him. Whereas, you know, you got skinned up knees. You're, you're going to heal. I got, I had skinned up knees. I'm going to heal. Yeah. I'm just fine. Yeah. You know, so let me there's a good you, balance between it all. Let yeah. me ask you a question then. <clears throat> the, you make a, a really good point about the kids being at the restaurants and all these places with iPads and screens and the parents yeah. sort of being helicopter. You also said a little earlier, you were on the road 200 days a year. So you weren't physically present all the time. How did you balance the two? You know, for our two daughters, they they were with me ev everywhere. Um, oh, you took that, them on tour. So with I did, you. I did okay. take them on tour with me. But now, as after COVID, as I started going out and traveling, I spent you know two years off. I tried to cram two years off into one year. So mm. it was a wild year where I was gone. Um, you know, in, really in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, gone like crazy. So. My wife did an incredible job holding down the fort. And it may sound, you know, a little hypocritical to say, okay, like I'm actually on FaceTime connecting with my kids. But I realized, even though I had obligations for the last six months, I realized, okay, I made these plans six months ago. I have to fulfill them, but I'm not going to do that moving forward. Because in the life of an artist, you, you do that a lot. Um, I just have to say that I just wanted to be as present as I possibly could with our kids that's why my wife um and i were very very lucky to bring our kids out out on the road mm -hmm. for the most part uh in the early days like 2016 17 18 and 19 kids have been every province every territory it's been really special and this relationship with your wife cecilia yeah it sounds like a very special one because it seems like you're very comfortable having these conversations yes. from your lens from your perspective mm -hmm. and a lot of men tend to struggle in having these conversations where it it almost implies a level of vulnerability. Yes. I'm going to need this from you in order for me to do this, or I need your support here. Was that something that you've always been able to do, or did you learn that along the way 
We, we learned it. We have a really, really incredible life coach. Um, her name is Lynette, and she is a no-bullshit, incredible, tell it like it is, and if she's going to do couples, she will work with husband, wife, and then together. Mm. Husband, wife, together. Right. Um, so therapy has been great for us. We've actually done therapy from the very beginning. I've always thought, and my wife, she coined this phrase and was able to articulate the thought that I've had is that if I can take guitar lessons or if I can listen to a, a, a podcast for business improvement, why can't we do this for our relationship? And we had so much strife and outside influence and like it was it was just a rocky first few years um, that we navigated through. A lot of fun, but still very rocky. So with that being said, I think therapy was very important and you have to learn to be vulnerable where nothing is off like you can you have to be able to talk about absolutely everything and when i mean everything i mean everything if there's nothing my wife could say that you know that we wouldn't be able to talk it mm. through and navigate even if the choice was a separation it would break my heart but you have to be able to talk about things that could lead to that which would be worst case scenario or talk about i'm different today in 2023 than i was when in 2013 or than I was when we first met in 2008 I'm vastly different so it's okay to change and now my my joy comes from here so these are the things I want now in life and relationship and there's no demand here like you need to give that to me but these these are my desires now are you okay with this um, and it could be time it could be taking up new habits it could be I'm gonna have a career change uh, I, I don't know what it, it's going to be different for everybody, but Cecilia is, she's a guru. Like it's unbelievable how, so this is a why constant she is. conversation that every day, yeah. every day tonight, we're going to have a conversation and something's going to come up that we can do to Im improve. Um, while I'm here doing promo in Toronto, um, or there's going to be something that we're going to talk about. That's going to bring us incredible joy. And we're going to plan a, a trip where we're going to plan something with our family. So we talk all the time and it's very very important she's she's my best friend and i really want to be hers are you able to have that same openness and conversation with like a couple of boys is it only just because i know some people like you can be very open with your lady mm -hmm. but then when you're around like the buddies it's still like that like you said you're a cowboy that's on the upper echelon of like you know i know exactly what, what you mean yeah i've got a couple of really really good guy friends that i definitely could open up and i think talk to them about about anything um i've i would pick and choose i've 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 decided to pick and choose those moments to get down like super super deep um i feel like i'm a bit more of a confidant because uh, i have this great outlet which is my wife i can talk to her and therefore i don't have to and sometimes it is to vent mm. to the boys um but sometimes it's to you know uh, let some steam go yeah. a little bit too i have those relationships but that is another big thing in this new era of my life is to open up more and i think honor those friendships because it's not that i kept things surface but i would only go down so deep because i wouldn't want to burden some of my buddies with some of the shit that i had going on feel, feel like it's a burden correct when, when it, feel like it's a burden yeah. but why did you feel like it was a burden i was just judging myself thinking that i'm going through a rocky time in my relationship or i'm thinking about leaving my record deal which would could cause some major financial issues and i 
know you're going through your own stuff and we barely get a chance to see each other so let's keep it light and just go watch hockey. Mm-hmm. You know what? Whereas, why did I actually put emphasis, emphasis on keeping it light and going to watch hockey when what we really could have done was go to a spot, a quiet back corner booth in a restaurant and really just talk. the same amount of time. In the same amount it. of time, those yeah. three hours, what, what could have we accomplished? So I just want to be more conscious. Now, the proof will be in the pudding if we have this conversation together a year from now and you mm. bring up, roll back the tape and say, <laughs> did you do what you were say, what you said you were going to do? I, I don't know. Well, but, it sounds uh, like we're going to have to follow planning on it is, is, is obviously leading the right direction, right? So, yeah. Because some people are completely against even the thought of it, right? And that's okay because that's your journey. Yeah. If you have made your own personal decision at this particular time that you are going to, like, that's, I don't do that. I don't talk about this, whatever. There's ways to let it out. Some would say that that may not be a very healthy choice, like internally, but I'm also not going to judge it. If that's your journey, like my dad, I would I try so hard to get my dad to open up and tell me things. My mom and my dad went through a divorce last year. Mm-hmm. Like that was interesting. 40 years of marriage. Now they're divorcing. So I would try to get my dad to talk about it. And just never would. So it's like, actually, why am I pushing him to? It's okay in your own time. And it might not be now. It might be in the next lifetime. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Do you think, if I may ask, do you think that you're able to, and I don't know how well or not well you, you handled that situation, but your parents getting a divorce after 40 years of marriage, you being where you're at and having the sense of self-awareness, is there a lesson that you could take away from that situation? You know what? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I, I want to be very careful to not to not judge their situation because I was never in their shoes. Of course, I had a mm. you know front row seat to to most of it. But I think the reality is that I don't know if my mom or my dad ever prior uh, prioritized joy. Fair. Like the things that my dad really wanted to do, I never saw him do it. The things my mom really wanted to do, I never really saw her do it. And so, if being together if being together was the reason why you weren't going out seeking the joy and the true passions that you had in life, whatever they may be, then I think to myself, okay, then should this divorce have maybe happened sooner, come what may. But I know my parents said, like, we want to wait until you guys are established. We want to wait until you guys were, were graduated high school. We wanted to wait. We wanted to wait. We wanted to wait. I'm like, Okay, how do you feel about that decision now, Dad? You know, you're 65 years old. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about doing that today, right now? Do you think it would have been better if you did that 20 years ago when you were 45? Um, Yeah, I would have been 12 years old, but but you can't turn back the clock. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know what lessons would I have learned. I just now really prioritize true joy and the things that bring me so much happiness. Uh, and on the topic of relationships, you talked about how, you know, you're almost being selective with your circle, right? Yeah. Who you let in, who you really build those deep connections with. Are, I imagine there there would have been scenarios where you've had to let people outside that circle or let them go, essentially. Yeah. What was that process like? Because I hard. imagine there's long-term really relationships hard. that really and truly were mm-hmm. were were there because of longevity not because of deep connections yeah and i mean were these relationships serving me were they serving us as as a family were they relationships that were really taking advantage of me i mean i live a very public life um with 
really a million friends, but only four or five really close, um, you know, do or die buddies. Um, so with that being said, I, I have had to have some very difficult conversations or when someone is, and I, I, man, I would procrastinate and I would, I hated confrontation, but if somebody would call me out and say, why, why not? Why aren't we like this anymore? I just had to kind of saddle up and explain why and come what may. And that can either lead to, not that I needed an apology or whatever, but it could lead to, oh, I didn't know that I was doing that in this relationship. Let's improve it. Or it's like, yeah, man, if that's what you want, I'm, I'm out. It, it, it's, it's hard. And there's, there have been many circumstances, even, even recently. So it's, 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 not, it's not easy. It's even kind of tough to talk about because sometimes it can get awkward and maybe somebody could be listening in right now. But at the same time, you know what? I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a different path, and people change, relationships change, and it's, it's okay. Mm. It is. Is there something that you can? Wh- why is that so? Let, let me rephrase. Why is that so important to do that? To, to, to. I, I know when you say, or when someone says, "I'm going to cut this person out of my my life, or reduce the amount of time I spend with this person because they don't serve." my needs or my my purpose it sounds very selfish but yeah. it's very important to do anyway mm-hmm. why is that such a struggle for people to do but also why was that so important for you to do that well longevity really does play a big factor like like you had said just a moment ago so based on that you can be very comfortable but who are you surrounding yourself with in terms of to, to really even in, in improve your life. And and there's Instagram memes and stuff like that that anybody will see about like if you surround yourself with, this is a, a very distant example, but if you surround yourself with successful people, you yourself mm-hmm. by osmosis really have an opportunity to become successful too. So are you with people that are energy leaks? Are you with people that were good buddies at this era in your life, but now really they suck so much out of you when you spend that time together. So yes, it may sound selfish. Like if you're just hearing this right now at this particular point in the conversation <laughs> saying, oh, Brett Kessel's a bit of a dick. Like if you don't serve him, <laughs> he cuts you out. Like where is the history and everything? But no, it's it's about evaluating the relationships and understanding that over time, if you transition out of it or you've gone on two separate paths and you've actually given it a good honest try, that some people in your life, friends, family, can be energy leaks. And if you live your life through a lens of there's no real special relationships here, then that's, then it's actually okay. And you can circle back around Mm. at a different time, back to that friendship. And they may be feeling the exact same way that you do, but you've been buddies for 20 years, so let's keep this going. But does it really work? You know? The longevity piece is really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you almost feel an obligation to Correct. keep that relationship going. Mm-hmm. And if you're the one that ends it, you're the bad guy. Yeah, and it's and it's tough, but the human spirit, human psychology, managing relationships is a very difficult thing to do. And all three of us, like we are gonna do this all our lives. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do this all our lives, and then when we pass away, we still won't even scratch the surface of mastering energy and emotion. Mm-hmm. Like we, 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 we never will. So. We just have to do our best to do our best, you know? 
I'm curious, are there books, specific books that you, that you read or podcasts that you listen to? Because a lot of the ways you talk is very sort of wise beyond your years, thinking into the future, being self-aware, being present, being mindful. I'm very curious. <laughs> I I haven't I read I love it. it. Don't get me wrong. No, it's, it's I, fantastic. I, I haven't read a book for... I thought that was since, the end of the sentence. No, sorry, I haven't read a book. Let's go. No, really. Like I, I haven't read a book since high school until okay. this year. I was in Mexico and I, I read a book that my wife recommended by Louise Hay. And uh, it's called How to How to Heal Your Life. And it's the metaphysical um, uh, affirmations that mm. you can say to heal physical issues and mental issues or mental trauma. And so there is an affirmation for everything from migraine headaches to cancer, to back pain, to gout, to uh, eye problems, to whatever. And, and Louise Hayes, as, as, a, as a guru, has done an incredible job linking them all. She's since passed away. But I mean, this book has sold like 50 million copies and it's a very easy read. And I read it and it like completely changed my life. Now, I think I was well on this journey understanding that it's a never-ending journey but that is that's the only book that is in the category that i like that that i've ever read i've read johnny cash's biography which i think is really cool but just stories about smoking darts and hanging out with bob dylan and <laughs> and you know and hanging out with presidents okay that's a really cool read yeah uh, jordan tutu um a hockey player uh yeah. you know nhl all-star um, I read his book with his battle with addiction and his challenges with his family living up in, uh, you know, in Rankin Inlet up in Nunavut, like a very unique story. And I'll take tidbits of information of the trauma of, you know, losing his brother and those stories. But is that a self-help book? No, that's a, that's an autobiography mm -hmm. really is what it is. I learn a lot from that, but no, to answer your question now in a long winded answer, and I'm sorry for that. No, I just, I, I don't, I don't read. I Have just, you ever met Jordan? Uh, I yeah I met Jordan when he played for the Predators but we sat beside each other uh, on a plane. Oh really? Um, okay. Coming yeah. back from Nashville. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and had a had a great conversation, and uh, he gave me his book. He was on the press tour, and um, you know my life on ice, and I'm like, wow, what a great title! I I just loved his book. I I've never read a book faster in my life nice. than I read that. Probably three days, it was done. I loved it. He's he's got an incredible story. It's it's a remarkable story. Yeah, a lot of respect for him. Hockey in general, though, is a very particular sport. It means so much in Canada. Yeah. There's a lot of negativity around it, especially in the locker rooms, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, a sense of toxic masculinity. We had Tommy Smythe here, and he's the great-grandson of Con Smythe. Con Smythe, yeah. And he was talking about hockey culture and, and how difficult it is for a lot of men in the sport. And we've seen some of the stuff that's happened with Hockey Canada and whatnot. Do you think, and you mentioned you, you know, you watch hockey. I watch hockey. Yeah. Love, love the sport. Exactly. Like there's an, a, there's a, an affinity, there's an affection for the sport and what it does in Canada, mm -hmm. how it brings families together, all the glorious moments on the world stage and all that, but there's still a component of, you know, a, a very toxic masculinity, a toxic masculine approach to sports in general. Mm -hmm. Do you see that through your, you know, through your own self-awareness, through your own lens, 
do you see a lot of that happening still in the sport? Not to say that you're an expert for hockey in any sense, but just rather from an outsider's lens. What what I will say is, and and, and I know that that there, you know, you could be watching this this conversation right now. So there's there's good and there's evil. There's positive and negative. There's a blessing and a curse in absolutely everything, every every decision, every every sport, every interaction. And so hockey has done so many incredible things for for our country in terms of unity, in terms of togetherness, in terms of identity. Like it's it is very, very special. Mm. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that are being uncovered today of things that have happened in previous generations or things that maybe are not maybe things that really are could be happening today right now when there's something that is toxic in a relationship in a sport that is going on it's very important to get rid of that as quickly as possible and immediately no questions asked if there's a toxic relationship anything that has toxic uh, is connect connecting to toxicity like it, you have to get rid of it it's like a cancer you have to you have to cut it off like you have to so I believe that now that so much is being uncovered it is an opportunity today now now that it's being revealed and now that we know okay hockey in general I can't say we because I'm not part of hockey culture I love the sport but hockey needs to do better change it effective immediately right here right now I believe from what I've heard and conversations I've had with different organizations is that they are doing that actively. So that is just something that I know does take time because there's hurt and there's trauma hmm. that is associated with it. But when you say there's a lot of toxic masculinity attached to hockey, I believe that there's toxic max masculinity if you choose to look in so many different areas, could be in music, it could be in, in rodeo culture, it could be in baseball and football and swimming, anything. So when it's revealed and you see it, you have to get rid of it. There's no room for that. There's also no room for toxic behavior on the opposite side when the pendulum goes this way. We can very well live in the middle where there's room for all sides, there's equality, there's unity, and if you have that lens, then hockey can be a much better sport than it is today. I still think it's an incredible sport, mm -hmm. but it can be better. Country music can be better if you get rid of the toxic sides to the music business. Um, so, what does that look like <clears throat> on the on the music side? Like you, you've been how long now? Have you been in? Well, in music I would like like tw twenty years. Okay. Like since I was a little kid, like I was singing professionally, like, like as 16, in getting paid. Right? Like you know, I was like sixteen. Yeah, like 16 for sure. Like I, I got my record deal when I was just about, just after 20. I was nominated for a Canadian Country Award when I was 16. But wow. um, that's incredible. It was, that, it's been amazing. Like how's it being on that stage at that age? Unbelievable. Yeah. So much fun. Did, a lot of fun you, stories. How did you stay, I guess, stable from being so young? Usually there's a lot of instability as you see, when you see somebody that's, has that much success at yeah. that young age now to be 32 and have like I keep saying I know I keep saying it yeah. I'm very impressed by the by the, four, the four kids and <laughs> they're married um like how does how does odds oh, I I know where you're getting at like <laughs> yeah. if you met my uh, you know my grandparents mm -hmm. um you know or, or my parents I think that they would tell you that um like I I don't think there was any way that they were going to let their kid or their grandson um 
become a story like you see in a tabloid in you know uh at at the grocery store or some hollywood uh story like Mm. not on their watch like sometimes they would even go a little bit further to make sure that they would never let my head get too big and because we're also farm and ranch people like you're very very humble growing up in that type of setting um you help your neighbor you help each other and my grandpa is a is a famous story within our family where i played the big valley jamboree which is like boots and hearts but in alberta and it's huge i i got to open for brooks and dunn like we played in front of thirty five thousand people i got paid more money than i ever got paid in my life and i had the best night ever playing in front of a sold out crowd of thirty five thousand. like this is what dreams are made of mm-hmm. we took the bus back to the farm i st- Slept in my childhood bed, and we got there, you know, three in the morning. My grandpa knocks on the door, you know, it's time to wake up, Let's go do chores. And I said, Grandpa, I just, <laughs> like, hey, I, I just played rock star, Big man. Valley. Like, no way. Like, I'm hungover. The band and the crew, they all stayed overnight, mm. and we were going to have a big party the next day at our ranch. Said, yeah, I, I, Grandpa, it's, it's, no, please. Like, I've had like two hours of sleep. Wake your ass up. You ain't no country star on the farm. And it just opens the door and has me a pair of coveralls and rubber boots. Like he was upset. Like he was offended that I'm not going to go out and chase cattle with him. But I'm like, what a great reminder. You're right. Wake your ass up. You ain't no country star on the farm. So how did I handle all of this stuff? I would go and I would play on the weekends and then I would come back and I would chase cows with my dad and go fencing. And he really, they, my family worked me very hard and I'm grateful for that. That work ethic was extremely important and I never complained. I actually felt I knew what they were doing and um, I'm still grateful for, for those memories, being very tired, very exhausted, but I had a lot of time to think driving a tractor about next weekend, what am I gonna do better? Next weekend or in a month from now, I get to play this big show opening for one of my heroes. How is that set list gonna go? And then I'd realize, oh, no shit, I missed my turn. I'm, <laughs> I'm driving in the big grain truck and I, I got to drive two miles and make a big turn. Like a lot of fun memories. How do you stay motivated all these years? Like uh, particularly from the lens of, you know, I, I mentioned all of the accolades and I mentioned also that there's a lot more, you know, oftentimes, and you see this particularly with, with professional athletes, they have their career years and then there's a drop off. Right, mm-hmm. like they've achieved the pinnacle of their careers, and then the 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 fire is just not as strong. Yeah. How did you stay motivated to keep going, and then decide, you know what, I'm going to walk away from a record deal and start my own thing? Like that all takes, you know, a sense of motivation, yeah. urgency. You know, as as I get older, I know my the fire that I have for my career won't be as strong as it is today. And that's okay. That's a very natural process. And instead, I'm going to allocate some of this really good wood and I'm going to put it over here to another side. Maybe uh, upcoming businesses like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and Michael Jordan and Mm -hmm. stuff like that have actually now made more money outside of basketball than they did while they were playing the sport. So for me, motivation comes from a bunch of different areas. There are there have been many periods in the last couple of years that have been very dark where there it's been very difficult to to be motivated because what's next i mean in an american career an international career what more can i do in canada but it's truly about like gratitude really fuels my fire now i am so grateful for the opportunities that i've had that i still have right now and the things that i've i've yet to accomplish that are still on my list of goals that i know i will accomplish and I'm very excited. And now my fire is fueling 
those decisions to go and cross those things off of my own bucket list. So I'm really, really excited about what the next 10 years have. Um, I appreciate that you keep saying like you're 32 and I'm like, sometimes I, I actually feel like old, like I'm in my thirties and there's a lot of artists that are 16, 17 that are blowing up on TikTok and actually have bigger careers than I've got. And I've been in this for 20 years. Like <laughs> what the hell, man? Yeah. But that's their journey. My journey is this, enjoy the ride, enjoy the process. And I know I've got a lot of gas left in the tank. Yeah. So it's a new chapter and it's very exciting. Personally, like we talked at the beginning of this conversation, but also uh, professionally. On the professional side, you said that there was a lot of dark moments. How did you overcome those moments? How did you overcome the days where you didn't think it was going to go well, where you thought about, you know, is this worth continuing and pursuing? What went through your mind and how did you pull yourself out of that to continue? You know, it's, it's, it was different every day. Um, everyone went through different elements of uncertainty, obviously during the pandemic. And we've talked about it a million times, but there was a creative switch for me where I, as an entertainer who really gets so much value out of stepping out on stage, if I can't perform anymore, what good am I? If you take a stage out from under my boots and a guitar from out of my shoulders, a microphone out of my hand, then what, what can I really contribute to this world? That's all I've ever done. So how do you pull yourself out of it? Through conversation, journaling, um, leaning on your friends, I got out into nature, which was really important. And I was just with my own thoughts where I'd either speak out loud or I'd really think um, like I'm, I love being in the outdoors. I love to hunt. I love to fish. And so while I wasn't on stage, I would, I would go in, like I, I would get lost with no cell service in Northern Saskatchewan or the Northwest territories or some of these places. And I would just think, and then I would journal and I would write. Now that's what worked for me. But some days I would write, some days it would be phone a friend, some days it would be lean on your wife, some days it would be just don't worry about that, it's going to work out. You have to have the mindset that it's going to work mm. out. Um, don't know when, don't know how, that's not my job. You know, <laughs> that's up to the universe, that's yeah. up to God or whatever you want to say. And for me, and then I would just have the most beautiful distraction, which is my children. So I would chase after them and before you know it, a week goes by and I'm just so immersed in their lives that I realize, oh, shit. That problem that was a really big issue, a really big challenge for me last Monday, I just don't even care about it anymore. And only seven days went by. So I really trust in the universe to point me in the right direction. Yeah. That's incredible. The The Compass Project. Yeah. I'm, very, I'm very intrigued by it because I love the name. Thank and, I, and I love the, the idea behind it. But maybe you can share a little bit more about it, where you're at with it. You just had an album from that series come out and what that journey is going to look like. Well, you know, I, I'm really, really proud of, of uh, the Compass Project. It's really four albums in one package that will be released this year. And the first album, the South album, points the needle of the Compass down south to Nashville. So I lived in Nashville for many years, still have a home there. And um, Music City, USA, is if you've never been, it's the most, I think it's one of the best cities in the world. I've heard great things. I just, I love it. Guys, you know what? Bring the microphones. That way you can write <laughs> off it as a business trap. I'm learning what CRA will allow me to do and what, what, what they won't allow me to do. Right, the, I'll but write please, that one down. Guys, yeah. come. I, I would love to host you in Nashville. That is, that is not an empty promise. That is, 
I would love to show you why Music City is one of the greatest cities on planet Earth. Um, we would have so much fun. The music is incredible. The studios are incredible. The songwriting culture is amazing. So the South album is me saying thank you to Nashville and putting together a really special grouping of songs, 11 songs, that is, of course, hit-driven and radio-focused, like everybody when they're promoting a new record, a new country record. But I felt like I put in more time, more energy in the song selection and the writing process to just make it bigger and better than anything I've ever done. Plus, this is my first independent release. So, shit, it's, it's got to be better than anything I've done, yeah, for yeah. sure. The, the you got to prove that I really you do. left for yeah. a reason. And... So the South album is, is that. Um, the East album is really pairing lyric and melody in the way that the great Canadian singer-songwriters have done. Gordon Lightfoot, you know, who lives here in Toronto. All the great singer-songwriters from the East Coast. These are love songs, songs that if we all had a few cocktails and you guys were at my ranch and we sat around a campfire, if you were to ask me, play a song that's not commercial, but a song that you really love, um, I these are the songs I would play you. So I'm so proud of them. But they wouldn't work on a traditional album, on a typical record. Right. So instead, I made an entire record of just that, and I called it the East Album because the singer-songwriters of the East Coast um, you know, made, made great careers out of that mindset. The West Album is exactly what I, I think you would think, and it's a country and Western album, like songs I wrote called Oil and Cattle. It's, this is a, it, that song is for Alberta, baby. Like I come from a land <laughs> of oil and cattle, <laughs> hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, mm. you know? Um, I got great, another song that talks about our family ranch called Legacy and how our ranch, we almost lost it um, because of my grandpa's succession plan and a lot of family members, you know, my mom especially really didn't like what that was gonna be. Mm. So we almost lost the ranch. So very vulnerable, but talking about true Western and country themes. And then the North album being in this business for 10 years on a national scale, I released, you know, 20 songs to radio. The 10 best ones that have gone gold or platinum, well, how do you do a greatest hits record? And so I decided to do it live. So songs like Airwaves or Drink About Me or Anthem or We Were That Song or Tough Times Don't Last, Tough People Do, these songs that I've written and recorded over the years, I've got live versions of them from the Calgary Stampede or from Boots and Hearts or from Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island or St. John's, Newfoundland. So it's a live version of these songs from a different city. So those four albums will come out uh, this year and I, it's the most ambitious project of my life. Pretty damn crazy, but I'm very excited about it. Am ambitious is a good word. I didn't realize all four albums were going to be released in the same year. Yeah. That's yeah, incredible. completely different. Yeah. They're all recorded. Or they're all done yeah yeah just they're all oh, in the bag just the yeah it's ready to and and for me now that I'm, I'm i'm independent i feel very lucky to to move a lot quicker when i was part of the label system i referred to that as like a ship as big as the titanic like what a mighty ship that was and we had we had so much muscle like what an incredible relationship but now we're like this small but mighty boat that can move very quickly and navigate through these seas like i kind of think of it like colin farrell and jamie fox and miami vice that are going <laughs> across the ocean going to cuba in that speedboat yep. that's where i'm on right now where it may not be as big it may not have as much muscle but we can move very quickly so am i releasing four albums this year yes and the reason why is because 
I'm looking at what my peers are doing in the business. And when Luke Combs, who's one of the biggest artists in the world right now, or Morgan Wallen, when they're releasing an album, oh shit, I'm gonna stay away from that. Mm. But as soon as they're done, that's when I'm gonna release. Yeah. So I have the creative freedom to move a lot quicker. The the concept of doing this solo, not under the the Titanic, which is a great analogy, by the way, because it really illustrates, you know, when you're working with a record label versus doing it independently. Mm -hmm. Do you think today you need a record label in order to be able to have a successful music career? It's a huge question and there's a lot to unpack. And I would still say the value of a record label is very, very strong. Um, coming from a guy who is in the system, who's now out of the system, it was like playing in the NHL. Like, whereas when you get to be a certain level as an athlete, uh, maybe related to this, other teams are, other teams are are gonna call, mm. and and you'll still continue to play in in the NHL on your terms, in a city that you want to play in, in the way that you want to play the game. But when you're first making it to the NHL, you were just happy to get drafted. Mm. You were just happy to play in the show, and have a team with a great coach, which would be like your record label owner or, or CEO, and great teammates who would really show you the ropes. Um, whereas now I feel in some ways I'm a veteran in the business after being here for, you know, a decade on the national scale that I, I don't need the label system in the way that it was for me. Would I be open to, uh, in the past, would I be open to a label deal today? Absolutely. If it's okay, the right so deal. You haven't ruled it out. No, nope, not at all. Right this now. isn't okay. me putting up my middle fingers to the label system, but this is also me very proudly saying I'm, I'm very proud to be independent today. I'm very, very proud of this next chapter, like I've said, you know, now many times, but there are ways for an artist to be completely independent from the get-go and have an, have an amazing career. And if that is your journey, those are your choices, good on you, that's great. You will make a lot of money and be very successful if that's your choice. Yeah. Or if someone says it's do or die, I need to be signed to a record label out of New York or LA or Nashville or Toronto, no matter what, well, if that's your goal, then go chase yeah. it and go and milk that relationship and take advantage of it to the fullest extent. I did. And taking advantage might have this negative con yeah. uh, like connotation to it. Like, no, 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 no. Like I, I took advantage. Yeah. It's hard for you to of, take, it's hard for an independent it. to take advantage of the label. Yeah. It's, they're, you know, so it's and, and they took advantage of me. Yes, and that's great. That's but what that's you're supposed the, to do. The nature of the relationship. Yeah. The more money they made me, the more money they made in return. Yeah, and, in taking a percentage, it was a win-win. I, anybody who ever fought the label in terms of like these biographies, I didn't really understand that. I understand. I understood the creative control, but one of the reasons why I left the label was because my team was gone. Like I got signed by this person with this vice president and this marketing manager and this other vice president and this publicist and they're all gone they're all gone mm. so if my team is gone why should i stay yeah you know and it's a very interesting full circle i've hired a bunch of them that now <laughs> work on my independent <laughs> nice. team so like i've not lost a step here and i'm very very happy about that yes. you say incredible. you're a free agent then or i oh yeah i i would yeah i'm a yeah. free agent starting his own league but yeah. happy happy to be <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's uh, un, un, uncharted territory for me. I've never been in this situation at this level. I've been independent, of course, before I signed my record deal, but that was locally. Ever moments where you think it's you made a mistake? Oh, 
I, I still think that. <laughs> I think that twice a day. And then twice a day, I think I made the best decision of my life. So that's just the ups and downs. What of, affirmation do you tell yourself when you think I made a mistake? Well, the reality is, is that there actually are no mistakes in life. Okay. There's, there's no mistakes. There's, if you choose to believe that, they're just lessons learned. And things that I would have thought are categorized as a mistake, which the general population w will categorize it also as a mistake. But no, that was just a lesson learned. That was a, a challenge. And I chose this path. And looking back now, that actually caused more harm than had I chosen this path. So some would call it a mistake, but it's just truly a learning opportunity, like a lesson. I love that. That's a really good way of looking yeah, at it. Yeah. Lesson learned, not a, not a not a mistake. Not a mistake. What do you got? What else you got going on? You got the Compass Project. Anything else? You're doing the tour. You're doing the rounds. I own a vodka company and a whiskey company out in Alberta. So okay. I, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring that. Yeah. I mean, we'll put those in our in our in our mugs. <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what's in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the entrepreneurial side is uh, yeah, is awesome really one. great. It's called Deuce Vodka. So that's our premium product, uh, Deuce Vodka. Um, really, really proud of how it's made. It tastes amazing. It's just filtered so many times. Filtration. Everyone talks about how many yeah. times it's distilled. If you know the business, that's kind of a bit of a myth. Like by the time you actually put it in the bottle, I bet you every vodka, most vodkas on the shelf are already distilled five, six, seven, eight times. So that's just marketing by Grey Goose, which was brilliant. Five yeah. times distilled. What does it mean? It means we can charge more. Yeah. You know, it was already five times. Yeah. At Oreo, when they said was vegan, it's like it was already vegan. Like, it's yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or uh, or A and W, you know, uh, you know, gra uh, grass fed beef. Always, yeah. and, uh, what else do cows eat? <laughs> like they've eaten grass all their lives for millions of years, yeah. you know. But yeah. so the filtration is very important to how we make our vodka. So Deuce Vodka, um, and my business partner Matt Doucette, he started it in Saskatchewan. This kid's an entrepreneur on steroids. He's twenty five years old. One of my best friends, and Talk about who you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. This guy's changed my life. Nice. He's he's just a magnet. He's a magnet for opportunity, magnet for wealth, um, money. Like you want to talk about luck, horseshoes. Like it's unbelievable what this guy can attract. So um, Deuce Vodka as well as Backcountry Vodka, uh, Backcountry Whiskey is an economy whiskey that we launched this year, and um, I'm so proud of our sales. Um, our general manager Yvonne Friesen is just uh, like he's just he's just an amazing amazing uh, guy. He just works so hard. So our team is growing. We're selling a lot of product, and I uh, I don't know if we're going to be the next Ryan Reynolds and Aviation Gen, but a part of me says, <laughs> why not? Why, why not? not? Why not? Man? Why not? He's a Canadian success story. Yeah. Why why can't Brett Kessel have a have a company that sells for half a bill? You know, a hundred percent. All the power to you. That entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well. Yeah, it's very important. It's very, very important in, in, in our lives. Amazing. Brett, thank you so much for coming, man. Oh, thank you both. This was incredible. It, Thanks for a great uh, conversation, letting me talk actually so much. I think it might have talked too much. But no, no such much. thing. Listen, if we're doing most of the talking, then there's something wrong with the episode. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's about you and, and sharing sort of some of these conversations, talking so openly. I really loved the part about you know, the, the constant work going into your relationship with your wife. I love that part because that is such an important element that I think a lot of men forget about. They work really hard yeah. to get to the altar, but they forget what they need to do after that. 
Exactly. And that's how you sustain a long-term relationship. And hearing you so eloquently share that, I think is such an important message. So thank you for sharing well, that. Well, thanks, dude. It's, I'm, I'm honored. Uh, I, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world to f- found the love of my life so early. Um, and I love her with all my heart. And I hope that when she does listen to this conversation, she'll pat me on the back and say, good job. Good job. That's a great way to that's craft a, a you message. You gotta listen to the whole episode <laughs> that's to get right. to this part. <laughs> <laughs> love you, babe. That's good. No, I really do because I like how I think one of the first things you mentioned was your wife, like right away. Yeah. And I've been on people that I've been on a lot of people that whether they're married or not, they don't really have a very strong opinion towards being married. It's like, you know, but it's like older is like, you know, I don't get married or uh, like, you know, it's like all the wife, yeah. all the old ball, ball and chain. Ball and, and just, chain, you know, yeah. it's always, it's, it's usually always, obviously not always, but it's often very, in that negative, at least negative mm-hmm. light and for you to shine such a bright light on it is, it's just not like that. It's Why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a wonderful human experience to share mm-hmm. that with somebody. And again, someone else's journey in saying that I don't, think you should get married well there's a lot of judgment and opinions there mm. and we actually try to remove the word should from our vocabulary you should do that well, who says you know you shouldn't get married don't shit on me like that's my choice don't shit on me don't shit on me yeah exactly so there's put, put that on there's the a shirt. bunch of people <laughs> who literally never want to get married yeah cool awesome great you found what works for you and that brings you so much joy and there's some people who have really missed the companionship or need that in in their lives so find the right partner and there's going to be a shit ton of compromise and work at it but that's also part of the human experience so for me and cecilia that's all i know it's an amazing relationship we're working on it every day goes through ups and downs hills and valleys and that's okay i i want to be i want to be sitting around this table celebrating my 50th wedding anniversary with this because there's not going to be many of us in this In this, in this, you know, yeah. in this, uh, you know, current era of life. So hopefully it'll be us. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. We're going to take the Gents Talk series to Nashville. Yep. We have to. Oh, guys. Take up on that down. offer. What, what an episode that, that'll be. Uh, that, that could be a four-part series. I think so. Um, yeah. so that'll be our own one compass in the north, subject. One in the south, yeah. one in the east, one in the west. I'd love it. Absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. Brett, thank you so much. Everybody, thank you for listening. Um, If you haven't done so already, please comment, like, subscribe, do the whole works. Show this man all the love he deserves. You're doing incredible things. Thank you. We'll support you as best we can all the way through. And uh, keep it up. We're going to be rooting for you from the side here. Well, thank you. And when I come uh, here to Toronto uh, next, I'll uh, have a have some drinks backstage ready for you guys so we can have a a good good hang. Are you going to do... I know you did... Boots and Hearts, but it was during COVID? Yeah, so it was called the Endless Summer Series or something like that. They they brought it back in a socially distant yeah. way for what the government of Ontario would let them do. It, it was still a great party. Yeah. Like, I don't know, we saw like 8,000 people mm. like jammed to the front of the stage. But my goal is to play Massey Hall here yeah. in Toronto. That is okay. it's one of the great is goals. That, is, that, is that like the country goal? Is that like just your goal? That's that's my personal goal. Okay, it's, okay. it's just one of the most iconic venues in North America. Yeah. So... You know, I I have to play it, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to do it. And we'll be there. Let's go. Cool. I, I, I I know you. I know you will be. I'll have some uh, some some good uh, some vodka, good vodka or whiskey vodka. for you guys <laughs> backstage. Appreciate Amazing. It, Thank, Thank you, you very much. Man. Thank you, Thanks, everybody. Gentlemen. We appreciate it. Thank you.